Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruno, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on, that works. So, bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first to goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's Austin Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Down. First down, he's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern, the only time zone to be invited to the Senior Bowl. That means it's time for the debate debate. That's Matt Bruning. That's Austin Nace. And I'm Felix Sharp on a draft-eligible version of today's show. An initial round of collegiate players who could break out in 2021. We revisit who should be the second quarterback taken in the upcoming NFL draft and movement amongst the 2023 wide receiver class. But we start with G. Scott not getting a single offensive snap with Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigma and Jigba unavailable to play in the Big Ten Championship game against Northwestern. This is something we raised last week. We asked what players could be considered for the transfer portal in the future, and I raised G. Scott. 74 offensive snaps in that Big Ten Championship game. G. Scott gets none. Garrett Wilson, 73. Julian Fleming, 52. Jameson Williams, 41. And Cameron Babb, 20. That 2020 class included the three highly touted prospects. Fleming was the number one overall prospect, a five-star prospect, the number one receiver, excuse me, JSN, the number five overall receiver, again, a five-star, and G. Scott, the number 10 overall prospect, and a four-star. 2021 is coming in Emeka. Abuka is coming. He's the number one receiver in the next class. Ohio State is a team that runs 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. And so if we have to look forward, if we have to look to 2021, you have to assume that Fleming and JSN and Wilson are going to be the projected starters with Chris Olave leaving. But then you got to throw Jameson Williams in there also. He's only a sophomore. So we project Fleming and JSN as the starters, not only through 2021, but through 2023, because they're the freshmen that are actually playing. That leaves G. Scott and Ibuka. And then the there's not just Ibuka, but the rest of that Ohio State wide receiver court next year that's coming in is also highly touted. You've got Marvin Harrison's son coming in um, next, next year. So 
that leaves Ibuka and Scott to compete for a number three position, some sort of contributor role for a team that's going to have a first time quarter, a, a new, a newly starting quarterback that is not as highly touted as Fields, either Jack Miller or uh, C.J. Stroud. Matt, there's not enough space. There's not enough space. There's this isn't Alabama or Clemson where you would expect a thousand yard re- uh, uh, seasons from multiple receivers. And we you we knew what the topic would be today. I don't know what your response is going to be, but I will bet you this: by the conclusion of next year's bowl season, one of these guys will have entered the transfer portal. And I'm betting it's it has to be Scott because he's the one that's not getting playing time now. And we're talking about G. I'm a Michigan fan, but I I love me some G. Scott, a six foot three, two hundred pound route runner. That that's the type of player that I like. I don't like the fact that he's not getting on the field. And oh, and what a, a and what a, a timely tweet by G. Scott Senior. I t- tweeted uh, earlier today, maybe about two hours ago, about fans hating. Tr- people who enter the transfer portal players that enter the transfer portal maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing maybe he's just alluding to mookie cooper entering the transfer portal but mr bruning i'm telling you by this time next year one of those four one of those three one of the the 2020 the 2020 wide receivers will have entered the transfer portal and i think it's going to be g scott so quick question for you are you are you do you have french at all in your background you're throwing a lot of wee-wees around there, and I did not say that I thought that JSN, Garrett Wilson, and Julian Fleming were going to be the for-sure starters for Ohio State. Garrett Wilson, for sure, will be the starter. Julian Fleming will be. He go he will go in and replace Chris Olave. They recruited JSN to be the slot receiver for them once Garrett Wilson leaves. Will JSN get on the field? Absolutely, he will. My God, I was about to call him Chris Olave. My bad. G. Scott is the X receiver in that offense. And I do believe will be the starter next year. Do I think he's going to transfer? No, absolutely not. You're going to, uh, I should, no, I won't, I won't be mean. You're going to say that he's not doing well this season, not getting on the field, not getting any snaps as we saw, right? We have not seen him. He's been on the field for hang on, let me find, 31 snaps so far this season. You know that he's only played in two games outside of the Northwestern game this past weekend. He was out due to COVID, missed two games. The Buckeyes have played a whopping six games this season. On top of the six games, they've played once this year, back-to-back. Earlier in the season, they played two games, back-to-back, then had a game off, game, game off, game, game off, game, due to COVID and other teams canceling on them. On top of that, earlier in spring, they did not get to go through their full practices and everything because they got shut down due to COVID. And multiple times this year in weeks where they were preparing for games, they had to go to virtual or only due to people testing positive in their building. So now you're going to, man, I keep wanting to, I keep wanting to make this uh, all hot takey. You want to say that G Scott's going to enter the transfer portal because he hasn't done any, anything on the field when he hasn't been able to practice due to big 10 COVID rules of you being out for 21 days. So he was not able to do anything on the field on top of that. He does not, he's not the guy who's going to replace Chris Olave when Olave's out. That's Julian Fleming. Another reason why we saw Julian Fleming on the field a lot more in that Northwestern game because Olave was out and they still couldn't get Julian Fleming going. Yeah. He made a couple good catches, but nothing. His routes were not crisp. You can see Justin Fields kind of getting a little bit frustrated with him. 
I understand that this has been a disappointing year. I cannot say anything bad about any rookie, not rookie, sorry, freshman receiver in this 2020 season, especially in the Big Ten and Pac-12, where their seasons have just been completely upheaval with everything going on, starting late, five games here, three games here, two games for some teams. The SEC and the ACC and Big 12 got it right, in my opinion, starting when they did, moving games around, figuring it out. I just want to ask you really quick, and and I went through the past three draft, draft man, I'm, I'm so focused on NFL draft stuff, I keep talking NFL stuff. I went through the past three recruiting classes, so top 10 wide receivers in each one, right? Obviously, G. Scott was in there. You want to take a guess at who had the best year out of all of these freshman wide receivers in the past three draft classes. There was only one player in the three freshman years that went over 1,000 yards in receiving. Now, I would bet I'll give you both two guesses, and I bet neither one of you can come up with who it is. I've lost in what the question is. The question is, is what player who just entered the draft had a no, thousand no. yards? Came out in, it freshman? came out in the recruiting, the freshman recruiting class that was in the top 10. Actually, I don't even know if he, yeah, he was in the top 10. I'm sorry. Was in the top 10 of their recruiting class since 2018, 2019, 2020. So these past three years. So pro- you're obviously pretty much eliminating the 2020 guys. So 2018 and 2019, one player out of all those top recruiting classes, that's 30 players right there, has gone over a thousand yards in their freshman season. I, Give it to us. It's David Bell. He's the only one. Nobody else even came close. The next closest was 520 yards from Garrett Wilson last year on 30 catches for 432 yards on 520 snaps. I'm sorry, 400 yards, 520 snaps. Going over this, nobody has done much. You've got, you're talking about JSN. And how he's having a great year. We think he's having a great year because he had that great phenomenal catch in the end zone. Not, I'm not saying you're saying that, but people are saying JSN, he's out playing. He's caught six passes for a whopping 17 yards on 139 snaps. Julian Fleming, who got most of his snaps last week, 123 snaps, seven catches for 74 yards. I'm sorry, got most of his catches and yards in that last game. The only two guys, and I think this is going to be very obvious with what the what conferences they play for, Jordan Addison is the only freshman outside of Kayshawn Booty or Boutte, however you say it, that are having good years as freshmen this year. Why? Because they've actually had to play a full season. Uh, yeah, I did not. Well, Mims wasn't in the top 10, so I didn't add it, but oh. Mims is having a phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Jordan Addison wasn't either, but he popped up in my head. I just kind of want to look at him. I really only put him on here because he has a very interesting stat line, 60 catches for 666 yards, which I thought was just kind of – I mean, I'm not really a hugely religious person, but I feel like I want to either get a negative or a positive yard somewhere just to kind of get that off my stat sheet. But anyways, it's him and, and Kayshawn are the only two that have done anything in this freshman class, and I think a lot of that goes to – Neither one of those schools have really been hit. Pittsburgh specifically, Austin, you can speak, that has not been hit anything COVID-wise, really. They've gotten to play pretty much their entire season. Same thing with LSU. They're out there practicing every single day, every single week. I'm not going to put anything on G. Scott or any of those other freshman wide receivers about transferring until I see what happens next year. Next year will be key. Now, if, if we come out and G. Scott is fourth on the depth chart, then maybe, yes, I'll agree with you. At the end of the next year, he may transfer, but I don't think he's transferring. I think he is their ex next year because I think he's a better wide receiver than Jamison Williams. All right. I appreciate the numbers, my brother. A lot of numbers there, but I think there's one number that matters, and that's three. There's going to be three, generally three starting positions in that Ohio State wide receiver core. You have four highly touted wide receivers. So which one of them is going to be content playing a reserve role until 2023 when that 2020 class is is, is draft eligible? I, so I just don't – I don't – go ahead. Go ahead. They're not going to be 
the back guy, though. That's my whole point. You look at what's going on with Ohio State this year, and it's due to the weirdness of this year, the six games. They are clearly – if you guys watched the Northwestern game, you saw it, right? They were wanting Fields to continue throwing the ball, even when Trey Sermon, was, Trey Sermon of all people, was ripping off 10-yard runs every time he got the ball, and Ryan Day still wanted to throw it. He was trying to get Justin Fields at Heisman. He wants to get that passing game going. That's who Ryan Day is. If you go back to previous years, Ryan Day – has always instituted that, like I've mentioned before on this podcast multiple times, hockey line changes at wide receiver. They switch wide receivers more than any other team. So nobody's going to be a quote-unquote backup. There might be G. Scott and JSN maybe on the second line, and I do think JSN will be on the second line. He is their slot receiver. They come out and say that he is their slot behind Wilson. So your starters are likely going to be Julian Fleming in for Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson at the slot, and then it's either going to be G. Scott or Jamison William at the X. So if it's Jamison Williams, that means G-Spot and will be second string. You're saying that there's not going to be backups, but there's no there's nobody that's going to be getting essentially starter reps at the position. That I mean, that's what I'm that's what it sounds like you're saying. And my point is, is that I don't think that those four guys or throwing five the rest of that 2021 class, that they're going to be okay with that. So I, I listen, I'm applying common sense here. We just saw it an Ohio State wide receiver enter the transfer portal. Um, it's because he had no so listen, playing, though. Well, we'll then let see. me ask you this. We'll, we'll see. Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin. He was a starter for the Ohio State Buckeyes, right? Yeah. For how uh, long? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, how year. long was Terry McLaurin? When and did he get drafted? What kind of prospect was Terry McLaurin, and when was he drafted? I mean, Nobody thought he was any kind of prospect. That's my point. These guys aren't coming here to put up stats. Nobody thought – who thought Terry McLaurin was going to be a great prospect? Until he showed up at the Senior Bowl and everybody was like, holy crap, this kid's actually good. They're not going there to put up stats. G. Scott's not going there to win a Heisman. He's going there to be coached by Brian Hartline, become a better wide receiver, and get drafted into the NFL. You cannot compare Terry McLaurin to three wide receivers who are ranked the top ten in their class. I'm sorry. I just Can we, can we let Austin get in here? Austin, do, do you have any – are you going to be a referee here? I think you guys got it covered. Um <laughs> I don't have much. I don't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, Bruning, do you want to have the last word before we move on? G. Scott Jr. is the truth. That's it. Go ahead, move on. All right, all right. We saw some out of nowhere breakouts in the 2020 college football season, from Zach Wilson to Carson Strong to Javante Williams, and so we wanted to take some time to consider who are some 2021 potential breakouts. And the guy that I want to hi- uh, highlight is Jay Sean Corbin, the running back out of Florida State, 2018 three-star prospect according to 24/7, four-star prospect according to the composite rankings. I love his size, six. Uh, six foot, 220 pounds. He has that prototypical NFL size, committed to Texas A&M, played just uh, f- 14 games for them, 1,000 all-purpose yards. He was used as a kick returner there. Severe hamstring injury in 2019, ended his season after two games. Then we saw Isaiah Spiller emerge and Corbin transfers to Florida State. Uh, at Florida State this past season, he uh, led the running backs in rushing with 401 yards, added 19 catches, which is, again, impressive for a 220-pound back. Um, this last season, though, it was a three-way committee between Corbin, uh, LaDamian Webb, and freshman Lawrence uh, Toa Feely, who I know a lot of people like out there in the Debbie community. But moving forward, LaDamian Webb opted out. He's 
uh, at the beginning of uh, December, he opted out and he transferred to Troy. So we got a peek of what that backfield could look like in in FSU's last game against Duke, where Corbin had 16 carries for 72 yards and three touchdowns. Now, important information, 2017 national champion Mackenzie Milton is transferring from USC to Florida State, didn't play in the 2019 or 2020 seasons after that horrific knee injury in 2018. Assuming he is healthy, that FSU offense could be trending up and a 220-pound back with pass-catching ability could be the beneficiary of it. Um, the other thing I like about Corbin is that uh, two coaching staffs now have have – shown that they're very interested in getting him the ball whatever way they could. You had Texas A&M use him as a kick returner, and Florida State uses him as the Wildcat quarterback. We saw LaVisca Chenault take that position last year with Colorado. Corbin is used in that role in that capacity here at Florida State. Very interesting. Next year he'll be a redshirt junior. Hopefully they'll have that quarterback position um, worked out with Mackenzie Milton, who will be, you know, the oldest quarterback starting at FSU since Chris Winkie. And so uh, uh, Corbin is my potential 2021 breakout. Austin, let me toss it to you. Um, who do you got as a potential 2021 breakout? Man, we're se- 17 minutes in here and I get my first segment. I'm uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thank you, guys. <laughs> So, uh, so my my big breakout guy is Josh Downs, and I don't think that's a bold call, or you know, I'm I'm not bringing up someone that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but he was a a big favorite of mine coming into this year, and I knew that he probably wouldn't really play barring injury. Um, he's a four, he was a four star receiver last year, five ten one seventy five. He went to UNC, and they already had Deami Brown. They have Daz Newsom there, and he's probably going to fill Newsom's role next year. Like he he's that uh, profile of a player. So unless Newsom went down before the start of the year, it was pretty obvious that maybe he would, you know, do some kick or punt returning, maybe fill in a little bit in some garbage time. Um, but but he was not really going to get any serious looks. He had he had a touchdown this year, though. I mean, he had three catches, 28 yards, a touchdown. He's going to be there next year. I'm hoping that Newsom leaves. I mean, nothing against Newsom. I just want to see downs on the field. He'll be tied to Sam Howell for at least one year. Um, I kind of have some suspicions that Deami Brown might come back next year. I don't have anything to base that on, but it just seems like one of those situations where he can go back in a less loaded wide receiver class and kind of get the gang back together for one more big run. So he he could potentially have Brown there to take some heat off of him while he, he develops a little bit. And so I, 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 it wouldn't shock me at all if he's like their number two guy next year. And I think he can do some serious uh, damage in a, a weaker defensive ACC. A uh, friend of the show, James Cheney, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name, but former writer for the Breakout Finder um, earlier this, or in the offseason coming into the season, he pointed out downs to me. And um, so I've kind of noted him since then because I respect uh, James's uh, opinion. So, all right, Bruning, um, who you got? Who you got as a potential 2021 well, breakout? I was going to go with G. Scott Jr., but I do feel like we talk. I mean, I, we should start. I should start getting paid for as much as I talk about him. So I'll, I'll pivot to talk about someone else. Uh, actually, I wrote an article about him earlier this year. Uh, me and Austin did a lot of Devi stuff and and 
profiles, uh, freshman profile stuff for the Dynasty Nerds website. And I wrote up a guy, Quentin Johnston, uh, went to TCU out of Temple, wide receiver. Uh, I thought he was a really overlooked wide receiver in this class. He was just the 14th ranked one, 70, 70th rated prospect overall. Uh, played basketball in high school, was a very good basketball player. I like his top end speed. Uh, contested catch and high pointing the ball, I think were two of his best traits coming out of high school. Uh, good friend of the show, Alfred Fernandez. Uh, it was a tie, by the way, Alfred, if you're watching you did not win that game and anyways uh he posted from his uh show uh why wait till sunday check it out it's a great show about debbie dfs and everything uh that quinton johnson just broke the 20 percent market share as a true freshman on a tcu team that is not good i think the future is is bright for this kid he's a really good um Really good prospect. I like. I know a lot of people don't necessarily like Fusu Vu, but I don't necessarily disagree with the comment that he he made a comment about Quinten Johnson uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, it may have been just a week ago that he believes he's a discount Julian Fleming, and I don't disagree with that. I think he's a Johnson is going to be a guy that people will be talking about in the coming years. So he's a guy I think will break out in that offense next year. All right, listeners, uh, your homework. Tweet at the show and let us know what collegiate players you believe will break out in 2021, and we could analyze your suggestion on next week's show because we're going to do this uh, into the offseason. Um, I think that this segment could include additional TCU players, and I'm not talking about Zach Evans. So um, there was a player that I considered that was not Zach, Zach Evans. All right, boys. Are we ready for the Debbie debates? Let's do it. All right. Outstanding game in the Boca Raton Bowl for Zach Wilson against UCF. 26 for, thir- 26 for 34, 425 yards, three touchdowns, adding two TDs on the ground. We're revisiting this question, Mr. Bruning. Should Zach Wilson be considered as an option for the number two overall pick in this upcoming draft and be the second quarterback drafted after Trevor Lawrence? Uh, so I am not going to answer that right now. I'm going to let you guys answer it for me. We're going to play a, we're going to play a little game. So some of these stats uh, you're, I'm hoping, I know both of you pay very close attention to a lot of these players and, and you know your shit. So this might be a little bit, Harder than I think it's going to be, but I put together a bunch of stats on three quarterbacks in this draft, and I'm going to show them to you. I just want you to pick. So if you're listening on the podcast, obviously this is not going to be fun. I will read over the stats, but I'm going to share my screen with you guys now. And all I do, I want you guys to just pick the quarterback that you would take over on these stats. I'll put it up full page here. So QB1, right there you got the stats, 6,000 yards, 558 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 57 percent completion percentage 987 rushing yards six total touchdowns 34 explosive plays qb2 5000 641 passing yards 40 to 12 touchdown interception ratio 66.8 percent completion percentage 635 rushing yards with 11 touchdowns 26 explosive plays qb3 4792 passing yards 56 for 8 68.5 completion percentage with 1082 rushing yards 13 rushing touchdowns and 34 explosive plays so austin if you had to pick a quarterback out of those three who would you take uh i think uh qb2 is probably the guy that i'm looking at the most i mean he has the fewest rush touchdowns fewest rush yards but you know that nice completion percentage there um uh yeah i i think i'd go with qb2 okay felix 
I think I potentially would have. I mean, first of all, QB1 is out of the. I think QB1 is Zach. I mean, you've thrown his completion percentage up there from his three years. But anyway. Uh, no, so um, this is I, actually only two years, only two years worth of stats last two, year and this year. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Um, but I I like the, the completion percentage for um, QB2, and I like his yardage and his touchdown. I mean, it's between two B, QB2 and QB3. Um, the one thing that I would want to see is the yards per attempt because I do like to know um, whether or not you know that player is. I is, can. QB one Lauren. I'm pretty sure. I cannot find. I can't pull that up quickly. So okay. Well, that's I, I want to know. I want to know. If the, I want to know these players to the extent they're getting the ball downfield, and so. I oh see well, that I have that for you, buddy. We're gonna get above, to that in just a minute. Above, we're we're, we're getting 10, to it. Better. I promise. That's the last slide. So which would you take? Two or three? Um, I would. T- I would take three. I would take three. Okay, so the next slide here, this is going to the defenses and that they've played. So quarterback one, average defensive rank of 65.3. The highest rated defense they've played in the past two years was the number one defense, number nine, and number 23. The second quarterback, an average defensive rank of 64.6. The best defenses they played were four, 10, and 13. And then quarterback three, 48.6 average defense rank, three, six, and eight were the highest defenses that they played over the past two years. So knowing that, putting up those stats, which quarterback would you take? I'm going to stick with quarterback three. Is this like the, what is that goat riddle or whatever, where like they're behind the door and you pick the first one and then when they, they take away a door, like you're supposed to pick the no, other one? So like here's, how the logic here's, works? here's the interesting <laughs> thing. When I say QB1, that's not the same QB1 earlier. I'm just going, I'm, I mixed up ah. every single one. I just want you to pick what you feel is the best category each time. I know oh, man. which based on the color coded sheet I have right here. So and I will I'm I'm marking down who you guys are picking. Gotcha. I mean, I think I'm gonna pick the third one. Okay. Well, we both picked the third one. Yeah. Okay. So next sheet. This is them under pressure and when blitz. So QB1, 45% completion percentage, 1149, 15 and 3, 64 passing grade. When blitzed, uh, all three of these quarterbacks are amazing when blitz, and I think that's just due to how good they are at reading defenses when they come at them. But QB won 63.2, 2,189 yards, 22 touchdowns, 22 touchdowns, two interceptions, 83.35 grade. QB2, 42.6 percentage, 757 yards, 6-4, and four, 65.35 pass grade. When blitz, 67% completion percentage, 16, 89 yards, 18-3 for the touchdown interception ratio, 75.25, and then QB3, 49.10 completion percentage, 832 yards, 10 and 4, with a 58.3 pass grade. When blitz, 65.7% completion percentage, 17, 26, 25 and 5, 76.5 passing grade. 2B3 for me, that I like the touchdown to interception ratio and the completion percentage when blitzed. Okay. Yeah, give me QB one actually. Um, slightly lower completion percentage, but they're when they're finding the right guy, like they they've yeah. got the over two thousand yards there. So they're they I I'm getting a sense that they know the blitz is coming better, and they can find the open guy better than just kind of dumping it off. You would be a hundred percent right on that scenario there, Austin. That that quarterback does that very well. Probably one of the better things they do in this class. All right, so now 
into deep, mid-range, and intermediate passing. Not quite what you were asking for, Felix, but I, I went ahead and, and d- dug into it. So QB1, 41% uh, deep ball passing with a, uh, 1,762 yards, 22 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Mid-range, 57.3%, uh, 1,867 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. And then intermediate, obviously, all three of these guys are phenomenal, 77%. 1,500 yards, 10, 10 for two. I'm just going to go quicker because I feel like this is taking too long. So QB2, going deep, 48%, 1788, 14 and five. Mid-range, 61%, 1749, eight and four. And then the intermediate, 82%, 1564, 11 and three. And then I'll scoot the sheet over so you guys can see QB3 really quick. 49% completion percentage on deep passing, 15, 19, 26 and three. Mid-range 71%, 13, 1371, 18, and 4, and then intermediate 80%, 1599, 10, and 1. Go ahead, Austin. Oh, man. This is actually a really hard one because I care the most about intermediate, and they're actually all pretty darn close. Yes, I don't think that are. 5% is particularly um, you know, conclusive to pick between the two or between the three. Um I would probably pick QB three just because well, if you were only one interception there and the touchdowns are all pretty comparable. Okay. Same. I'll go with QB three also. I love you guys so much. You oh, guys we just really picked Justin there. Fields through all of this, didn't we? So, Felix, you went four for four on Justin Fields. Austin, you went <laughs> two for Fields, one for Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. I'm done. I'll see you guys later. Have a great night. Everybody's trashing Justin Fields because he's had two effing bad games this year against two at time Northwestern top five secondary right now rated in the NCAA Indiana top 12. And you're going to tell me that he's bad. Yes, he's had two bad games. I'll give you that. Has he looked great at times? No, he has not. Does he hold on to the ball too long? Yes, he absolutely does. However, I will go to the Michigan State game. He did not hold on to the ball too long in those games. Why? Because when he realized that he couldn't make a play, he ran with it. What's the difference? Ryan Day wasn't there. Ryan Day came out earlier this year and said they didn't want to see Justin Fields running from the pocket anymore. They wanted to show that he was a pure passer and that he could do it in the passing game. I think when Ryan Day is there, he doesn't run as much, which also hurts his game. If defenses know that he's not going to take out of the pocket as much, which you'll see if you dig into the stats from last year, Rushing yards are a ridiculous number compared to this year and last year. That is what's hurting his game some. Justin Fields is still in the conversation with Trevor Lawrence. I understand he's had two bad games. Again, I'll go back to what I mentioned with G. Scott earlier. They played two games, was off a game. Played a game, off a game, played a game, off a game. Played better opponents this year outside of Notre Dame's one game. Or I'm sorry, Lawrence's one game against Notre Dame this past weekend. Zach Wilson's best game came against UCF's 67th ranked, or I'm sorry, Coastal Carolina's 28th ranked defense. Bravo, Coastal Carolina, who also made Zach Wilson look mortal. Zach Wilson, I'm not trying to bash here at all. He's a phenomenal quarterback prospect. I still think he's one of the best in this class. It's Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, tear break. Mac Jones, Zach Wilson. So, no, I do not think Zach Wilson. Can I clarify something about the statistics? The the statistics were from the uh, last year and this year um, combined, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. I mean, Mark Twain once said that there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And I think that if we we took a look at Joe Burrow's second to last year or Kyler Murray's second to last year, you wouldn't have wanted them as your quarterback. The, I don't know if we got an answer to the – I think we did get an answer to the question. You're saying that Zach Wilson should not be considered. Correct. Um, so let me, let me use – Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, go ahead. 
You listen to these draft shows. You listen to people with blue check marks. They're saying that it's all over the board as to who is the potential um, number two quarterback. And I just don't think that you can definitively say that it's Justin Fields because he had a better uh, sophomore season. Or was it his sophomore season? Um, You scarlet and gray homers act like anyone who says that Zach Wilson should be considered should be considered for the number two pick that they're glue sniffers. And I'm sorry, I just don't subscribe to that notion. So go, go ahead. Okay. So you want to talk about just, okay. So you can't use two years of statistics because Justin Fields had a great year last year. Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow had bad years last year. Guess what? Zach Wilson had a bad year last year. and is having a phenomenal year this year. Guess what? Justin Fields had a phenomenal year last year and has having a not so good year this year. Trevor Lawrence was not that great at times last year. You can't just take one-year sample sizes. That's not how life works. You have to take everything into consideration. I'm not wasn't saying Kyler Murray a one-year sample size. Wasn't Joe Burrow a one-year sample size? I mean, that's my point. I'm not saying that they're not. But you're you saying you can't take one-year sample sizes. I'm saying if that was the case, no, I'm Joe saying Burrow I would wouldn't not have been the number one overall pick. And I'm not. I don't. I never said he should have been the number one overall pick. I had Justin Herbert higher than him. I, I think Justin Herbert's a better player. Joe Burrow is a phenomenal anticipatory thrower. He's going to be great. I did have Kyler Murray one over Dwayne Haskins in that draft. I if someone wants to take Zach Wilson over him, great. If you want to throw at me that because blue check marks are saying it, I could care less what a blue check mark says. Blue check marks were telling me Mitchell Trubisky was going to be the next best quarterback a couple years ago in that draft. That's really working out for the Chicago Bears and Mitchell Trubisky, isn't it? Not all those guys know everything. I just saw Matt Miller talking about some crazy shit on Twitter that has everybody going to, just because you got a blue check mark doesn't mean you're good at your job. Just means that you've gotten to where you've gotten probably through hard work and everything else going what on. What I'm saying is, is that the information is coming out from NFL GMs that they're draft boards, that there's not a consensus on who the number two quarterback is. And you're saying that there has to be a consensus where there are no, people who not at all. Of dollars. That's, that's exactly what you're saying. That's, that's exactly what you're saying. With you guys who can't get off Zach Wilson's jock strap is that every time I say Justin Fields is better, you immediately come back, oh, you can't. Zach Wilson is a phenomenal quarterback. I'm not arguing that whatsoever. I'm saying, in my opinion, no, he does not deserve to be in the conversation with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. If you want to say that, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Zach Wilson's phenomenal. He's not as good as That's everybody exactly wants what to you're doing. If you're saying that you're no. wrong, that you, you I am can't saying consider he's not Zach as Wilson good. to be the number two quarterback. He's not as good just because he goes out there and beats UCF and in the Boca Raton Bowl that nobody cares about, or he goes out and beats Coastal Carolina. I would love to see Justin Fields go up against Coastal Carolina and see the stats that he puts up. I bet you it's more than 100 passing yards and one touchdown. I would bet you that right now. Everybody wants to give Zach Wilson all this love when when he goes up against tougher defenses, he struggles. And again, Justin Fields has done that this year too. I'm not saying that he hasn't. My whole point is it's not, in my opinion, not saying that yours is wrong, it's not close for me. If you want to put Zach Wilson above Justin Fields, go for it. Everybody on Twitter is doing it right now. Everybody and their mothers are doing it on Twitter right now. Go ahead. I don't care. All right. I'll be the glue sniffer in this conversation. Let's go to something a little less contentious. Austin, um, the Pac-12 championship game, USC versus Oregon. Keaton Slovis, 28 for 32, 320 yards, two touchdowns, but three INTs. He's had some bad games this year. After an outstanding freshman year in 2019, is it now now time to 
consider or rank Spencer Rattler ahead of Keaton Slovis amongst 2022 eligible quarterbacks? You're on mute, Austin. Thank you. I'm sorry. I just I haven't been talking very much, so you know. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll forget I'll about these things the sometimes. Rest the, the rest of the show, I promise. Uh, I'm just giving you guys a hard time. Um, so I think everybody. I mean, I talked a little bit about Slovis last week. I think everybody kind of knows how I feel about Slovis. But just to recap, I think he's a solid fundamental passer. I think he lacks a lot of the the traits that that the NFL is shifting toward in terms of you know creativity as a passer, mobility. Um, those, those kinds of things I think he, he's lacking and I don't see it in his game where that would, that would be possible for him to develop those things over the next couple of years. I, I'm kind of giving players a pass if they had a bad year this year, not completely, but this year is just such a crapshoot. I mean, we talked a little bit about it with, with G Scott and all that stuff that they, we, it, teams don't have consistent practices. The games are getting called off all the time. Um, and especially those pack 12 guys, like you were saying earlier. So I'm I haven't really knocked Slovis's overall grade for me that much where I have changed a little bit is Rattler has jumped him for me um, and Rattler is he has a lot of the tools you want uh, for a kid that's going to come into the NFL nowadays he's not uh, crazy mobile you know he's not a Lamar Jackson but he's certainly on like the Aaron Rodgers Alex Smith as prospect mobility range which I think is more than enough for today. And the thing about Rattler that I love the most, and I think a lot of it is Lincoln Riley's doing is that he does not make the same mistake twice. If you watch Oklahoma's games, the stuff that he was messing up the first game or two or three of the year where Oklahoma struggled, he is not doing anymore. He, you know, he's, he's reading coverages better. He's not trying to make things happen when it's not there. He's not trying to force the issue. I, I think I'm hoping and I, because Rattler is getting a little bit of the bump right now where you watch a guy in his first year and you're saying, okay, he does these things. Well, I project that he can continue to grow. And so I have him here. He is getting a little bit of that bump compared to Slovis who has had this down year, but I, I would be shocked if Rattler does not continue to grow based on how he's grown the second half of this season. So give me Rattler. I don't. I think we talked about Keaton Slovis last week, and I said I just don't like the players that don't have the traits. I want. I want to have an elite trait with a quarterback, and and Spencer Rattler has the arm talent. So I don't have any objection to um, uh, ranking Rattler ahead of of Keaton Slovis. I'm always going to miss out on a player like Joe Burrow, a player like Tony Romo. Um, I just want to see some elite traits. Uh, Matt, do you want to throw anything in there to uh, to close that one out? Uh, no, I've, I'm, I don't have Rattler above Slovis for me. It's still Jaden Daniels, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Slovis, I, I was always kind of worried about the year he had last year. I wasn't sure he was really showing us what he is. I think he struggles against pressure and everything. Not that a lot of quarterbacks do, but I've just not been as high on Slovis. I think for me right now, I still have. I, st- I still have him right ahead of Rattler, though, right now. I have Slovis three, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year when I'm time to actually go back and look more at Rattler and Slovis that I wouldn't move him ahead of him. All right, last Debbie debate question here. I'm not sure that anyone had a um, uh, as a big of a blow-up at the end of the season as Kayshawn Botte, LSU wide receiver, I believe the third-ranked wide receiver in this class, 14... 14 receptions for 308 yards uh, against Old 
Miss and three touchdowns, looking like a, something like Deshaun Jackson or something out there. Should we be considering Bote as the top-ranked uh, wide receiver in a really stacked class with all three Ohio State freshmen? You got Rakeem Jared, the athletic Demond Demas, who hasn't saw the field. But early, early after their first year, should Bote be elevated to number one? I am still going to take Fleming. I love Fleming's athleticism. Um, and his profile coming out, he's one of the highest ranked receiver, uh, recruited receivers ever, according to the 24 7 rankings. And um, uh, we haven't seen it yet. I think that it's coming. And I also like uh, uh, Fleming's uh, physical profile. He's 6'2, 200 and some odd pounds. Keishon Bote is a little bit smaller, listed at 185. I think he can probably get up to 200. I might be more attracted. Uh, to him there if he doesn't lose any speed. But, you know, that is 14 receptions and 300 yards. The games like that don't come around often. I could be looking stupid, you know, next year um, when he if he blows up again next year. But as of right now, I, I still really I still really like Julian Fleming, obviously, because he was the highest rated receiver in that class. Austin, what what are you going to move Bote up in your rankings to number one? I did it. I did it. Yeah. Um, so this, this is the time of the year where I really start to move guys significantly around my board as I can finally sit down and, and watch guys more closely. And we have a full season of a body of work from most of them coming into the year. I had three receivers in this class that I thought were, I don't want to say clearly the top three, but there was a little bit of separation between these three and everybody else. I had uh, JSN number one, I had uh, Boutte number two, and then I had Rakeem Jarrett at Maryland number three. And I always assumed that Jarrett would be the guy that would jump out hot because he was just going to have more opportunity at Maryland and that Boutte and JSN would start a little slower. And then uh, Jamar Chase opted out, and then uh, Eric Gilbert opted out, and Terrace Marshall opted out. And we got down to the point where LSU just didn't really have anybody left, and he became the de facto number one option. By he, I mean Boutte. Since Terrace Marshall opted out after the game against Texas A&M on November 28th, his game logs against Alabama, eight catches, 111 yards. Against Florida, five catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown. And then, like you said this past week, 14 for 308 and three touchdowns. The SEC is not the man's game defensively that I think it was five or ten years ago, and I think it is still coasting on that reputation a little bit. But I, 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 Boutte has been extremely impressive. He wins all. He wins deep, intermediate, short. He can win across the middle. He can win on the boundary. I'll take the guy that that had just the better overall season. And because I like that freshman break, breakout and um, he, I think he's going to be the leader of that wide receiver core for the next couple of years. So I think he's going to continue to just keep killing it. So, I mean, a two, two from one jump isn't, you know, anything crazy for me. So yeah, I did it. I did it. All right. No argument from me. Let's close out a show filled with fireworks, with parting shots burning. Why don't you start us off? Hmm. Well, I'm just going to get ready to start setting up uh, all of us uh, scarlet and gray homers for what's about to happen next week. And I am getting absolutely sick of Dabo Sweeney. Uh, he is the most annoying. I mean, like 
He is the most annoying coach in college football, in my opinion. All he does is, woe is me. We're just so lucky to be here. And, you know, we're not even that good. But, hey, he went into a whole thing a couple years ago when they got blown out. Or, no, when they beat Alabama, I believe. And Alabama coach Nick Saban said he felt it was because they were fresher because they played a softer schedule and they didn't play as many games. And Davos, when he said, no, we weren't fresher. Football's football. You know, we're out there hitting guys just like they are. It was a fair game. Then he comes out this year and says, oh, well, no, it's not fair for Ohio State to make the playoffs because they had to play less games they're fresher than us they don't have the injuries get the out of here dude stop being such a pansy you're probably gonna wipe the floor with ohio state good for you but all this crap that he talks all the time to me is just the most annoying person in the world every time i see him on and i don't watch a whole lot of espn but when i do he's always on there i just want to punch him in the face Dabo, if you ever watch this I hate you, man, and I, I don't say that lightly, but he, you just annoy the living crap out of me. It goes back to what happened earlier in the year with the Florida State thing as well where he brought an offensive lineman who tested positive for COVID and then wanted to blame Florida State for opting out of the game when he shouldn't have brought the backup offensive lineman to play the game anyways. The dude tested positive for COVID. Leave him at home. You're not playing him anyways. You were the reason they canceled the game, not Florida State. Stop blaming everybody else for your stupid problems. I hope Ohio State whoops your ass next Friday so that everybody can rub in that face that 11 ranking in the coaches poll because Coastal Carolina is better than Ohio State and Cincinnati is better than Ohio State and whomever else other stupid schools you put up there over Ohio State. You want to rank them 6th, 7th? That's fair. That's fair. They only did play six games. 11th? Fuck out of here, man. That was it. I was done. That was was it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Austin. Well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about, so I apologize to everybody now. Um, The NCAA has to do something about how they decide what teams go to what bowl games. And I didn't really – so when I I originally sat down to talk – to write a little bit about this, I wanted to talk about Coastal Carolina and how they just got snubbed completely by their bowl game. They're going to the Cure Bowl. Prior to this year, I'd never heard of the Cure Bowl. Apparently, it's been around since 2015. So, you know, a long-standing history of uh, epic matchups and historic teams, apparently, that have, that have gone through there. Uh, so, Costa Carolina is going to play Liberty in that game. And it's, it's not what anybody wants. And the only reason that they have to go to that game in the first place is because the Cure Bowl gets the champion of the Sun Belt no matter what. They are contractually obligated to take that team unless they make the college football playoff or one of the New York Six Bulls, which they will never, ever, ever do. They need to get rid of the contractual obligations for these Bulls to take teams. I don't know how they want to do it if you want to tear up certain games and then give them a pool of teams to choose from. But it's ridiculous that we... We watched that BYU Coastal Carolina game. We thought that was going to be a de facto New York Six playoff game, and it probably was for BYU. But I don't think they ever had the intention of putting Coastal in a meaningful in a meaningful game. I just don't believe that. So I'm going to watch that game because I'm I'm interested to see. I mean, I want them to just go out there and destroy Liberty as a big old middle finger to the College Football Selection Committee. But the NCAA really has to do something about how they decide these games. All right, I will close us out. Um, when we first started doing this segment, I had envisioned a sports reporter's type um, uh, parting shot, and so I have prepared something that I'm going to read here. Uh-uh. 
In a year marred by sickness and sadness, I'm truly grateful for the reprieve offered by the college football season. As a story, college football is such a compelling tale because it, because it is always evolving. An endless number of new characters are constantly being introduced, and old characters are given new and expanded roles in the plot. With a global pandemic as the backdrop, this season was marked by the planets aligning for an exciting young quarterback heaving Mormon prayers from one side of the field to the other. In North Carolina, the prestige of the football program continues to improve at a basketball powerhouse behind the efforts of an ageless old coach, a yet another dynamic quarterback, and a backfield tandem that meant bad news for most defenses. Thanks to 2020, I, I not, thanks to 2020, I not only know what a Chanticleer is, I know how to pronounce it. Speaking of which, I'll get back to you on Ui Angalele. We learned that Carson Strong is a name to watch and a reason to watch games starting at 10 p.m. Eastern. And let's not forget that earlier this season, a Southpaw quarterback at Indiana with a peculiar last name stretched with everything he had to beat a top 10 team for the first time since the Reagan administration. Just a few months after Reagan uttered the famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And indeed, walls were turned torn down in 2020. Athletes recognized the powers of their collective voice to affect change in their campuses and in their communities. Communities joined together to recognize and combat the effects of racism, and collectively we learned how to survive, not just in life and living, but in spirit and connecting. We have, uh, we at the Debbie Debate have enjoyed connecting with you with this new show. That is going to be our show for tonight. You can find our written content at Dynasty Nerds. Email the show at DebbieDebate at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at DebbieDebate. Our apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama. Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter and Bob caught it. Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. For the freshman. He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State.
from 52 yards. 